the world's only source for All Out. My name is Matt, and joining me today is a very special guest, Matt. That's me. Hey, welcome on, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. It's uh, been a pretty quiet week in Iowa. Uh, we had some snow. I think you might have gotten some of that, too. Yes, yes, we did. We were at around 60, and uh, we suddenly had some snow. And I am now going to ch- cut the boring weather talk and go on to discuss the fact that we are, we are in fact, on week 8 of the winter season. All sports anime covered between the 19th to the 25th of February. Uh, last week we said we were going to get our Long Riders review out soon. Uh... We're still going to get it out soon, and uh, totally for realsies this time. We are going to start recording it as soon as we're done with this. Yeah, uh, I'm still reeling from your comment that my uh, snow talk was boring. (laughs) It snowed in February, Matt. That's really interesting stuff. The people need to know. Well, I know, I know. To be fair, in Indiana, it is pretty uncommon. Well, I mean, not really, but... Anyway, um, th- we should stop here. This is a terrible start. Uh, we would start over and re- re-record, but let's be honest, we're not going to. Uh, let's just jump into Yamapeda, what do you say? Yeah, sure thing. Okay, so this episode, episode 7, was all about a the start of a farewell fun ride to the Hakone team. So this is like the last year, ride of the third years, uh... And the major thing is, you know, we're having all this great, like, riding with everybody, you know, oh, it's all very sentimental because Shinkai and uh, Fuku kind of, you know, exchange these very meaningful words about whatever. (laughs) And uh, what we discover is that this entire fun run is also meant to be a race between the third years and their successors. So... What we have is Izumita going up against Shinkai, who was... You know, so we have the sprinters going up against each other, essentially. And there's a lot of back and forth about how much Izum- how much this means to Izumita, because Shinkai was always his idol, he was the guy who he always was training to beat, and he finally beats him in this, uh, in this race. Spoiler alert. And then it sets up for next episode, where uh, we have Minami going up against Toto. And that's pretty much it. Did, did I really miss anything of great importance? Uh, somehow, well, no. I, I'd say the most important thing from this episode by far was that Izumita revealed that he has named another one of his muscles. Right, yes, because we, have, because we had Frank and Andy, and now we have his new fa- back muscle, Fabian. Yeah, so Frank and Andy are his pecs. And then he also has his abs, which he talks about but does not name. Uh, right. And then he he went, he spoke at some some length about how the back muscles are actually the most important in the body because they're your biggest muscle, and they link your legs to your shoulders, which, I mean, yes. Um, yeah. And it's a very, uh, I guess, detailed imagery of how unbelievably enormous all of Izumita's muscles are under his jersey, which is a little hard to believe, you know, like the way that they animate him when they're picturing his muscles looks so different from how he looks when he just has a shirt on, you know? Like you'd think you'd be able to tell that this was the most muscular high schooler in in Japan, uh, but you really can't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It's... I guess the entire point of this was to sort of build up Izumita as being, like, a real threat. Because we do have this whole issue of... So, Izumita has been beaten before, you know, past seasons. So, how do we make it so that Izumita is, should be considered a real threat now to Sohoku? Yeah, you have to give him a new power. I have to give him a new big power-up, and that would be, I guess, Fabian. Right. And we have to do it by establishing the fact, like, oh, he managed to beat Shinkai. Right. Like, you know, the big, you know, the big, the best sprinter from, uh, Hakone. This doesn't really work. I, I mean, I'm sorry to say, I don't, I, I, I think you kind of feel the same as me in this regard. Uh, but it doesn't really work for a couple of reasons. 
First of all, Shinkai did nothing but get thrashed last season. He was kind he kind of existed for the sole purpose of showing how strong other characters were. Right. Like, and you know, we've never actually we never actually saw him get his own big win. Well, yeah, he was there to he was there to make Midosuji a true villain. Yeah, exactly. It, I he had one other big moment I think last time as well because he got really broken and then he came back. And I think, was it uh, Imaizumi who ended up beating him again? I'm I'm not going to lie, I don't remember. Okay, I don't really. I, I know he had one more time. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's the point. That's what I'm getting at, though. It's like, yeah, it's cool that Izumita finally managed to beat his idol. It doesn't really mean much when this guy... We have not really seen this guy actually do that much. It, it's very insistent that he's this great sprinter... But, you know, it doesn't really feel like it means a whole lot. Yeah. And not only that, uh, you know, in an earlier episode, just this very season, we had a conversation between Aoyagi and Teshima where Aoyagi says, like, hey, I actually managed to beat uh, Tadokoro once. And uh, Teshima's response was, great. Like, you know, it's just one time, but, you know, it, you know, it, it shows that you're improving. Here we're be, we're seeing a uh, we're seeing Izumita's win being like it's supposed to be this grand like no Izumita is now the new big threat on Hakone because he managed to beat Shinkai. Yeah, just one time and by you know less than a meter. Uh, yeah, exactly, like by milliseconds. Yeah, um, and mm-hmm. it, it's kind of a recurring issue with Yawapeda where the series always has to make every race extremely close Mm -hmm. because it doesn't seem to know how to establish tension by like being able to maintain a lead or like it's always about the comeback in this series Mm -hmm. and you know the comeback is fine you know it is the most common narrative tool in the sports series but when all you're doing are comebacks it's just it's not terribly exciting yeah, that's true. If I guess if we think, what races have we seen in this season so far? And let's try and think, have any of them not been a narrow comeback? Right. It's been, and it, like, we've only seen a couple of races. It was uh, Ashikiba versus Onoda. Mm-hmm. We had uh, Tadakoro versus uh, Aoyagi and Naruko. Right. And we had Naruko versus Midosuji. And they've all been just by the skin of their teeth. Yeah, and they've all been comebacks. Right. And not only that, but even last season, every single race was a comeback. Like, maybe not even so much a comeback. Maybe but it was, was always tight, always, yeah. It was always extremely tight. In fact, one episode, like, one major race actually had a three-way tie. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and so it's like, the, the series does not seem... Like, it's an issue... Where they don't seem to understand, like, this is something I think that Ace of the Diamond has done very well, where you do get to see the main team in that. Occasionally, it's all about, you know, they get an early lead, and then, you know, it's about the tension of actually being able to keep up that lead. And, you know, maybe they're not always able to quite do it, but, like, you know, it still gets, a, they manage to narrow the gap a little bit. Yeah. But at the same time, it still is, they're mostly in control of the game. But you can still establish tension that way. Right. And also, this seems to have a very tenuous connection to real-life cycling. Where, you know, yes, there are photo finishes in cycling, of course. But when you're doing these long-distance rides like they're doing, it's not going to be like that every time. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, great, Izumita, you beat him by a hair this time. And I guess the series is supposed to be, is supposed to make it seem like, yes, Izumita is now, has finally surpassed his mentor. And it's like, did he really? Like, he barely won that. Yeah. And, you know, they could race again and it could come out completely differently. Yeah, can I just comment on some other things I thought were kind of funny about that sequence? Oh, please, by all means. Um, I like the fact that... So they have they have this extended sprinting sequence where uh, Shinkai and Izumita are gonna determine who's who's the the best sprinter on Hakone for the last time, um, right. and both of them have very strange ways of expressing themselves when they're sprinting. 
Oh, so, I know exactly what you're going to bring up, and I made note of that myself, but go on, continue. <laughs> okay. Um, so, I- Izumita, every time he sprints, he uh, yells the word abs over and over. Uh, right. Because he's using his abs to power his pedaling. So, he, sure. so he's just yelling, abu, abu, abu. Um, which you'd <laughs> think would be harder than just pedaling. Uh, and then Shinkai... Uh, goes insane and lets his tongue hang out and he yells the entire time. He just, his tongue is just wagging out and he's screaming like a crazy person. Right. Uh, because he's sprinting so so hard that he can't even control himself. And that's just... That's... I, it's almost, it's even like less like a yell. It's almost like a snarling like a mad dog. Yeah, that's that's probably a good description. But either way, they're both, you know, expending energy in ways that real cyclists definitely wouldn't. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, it's, it's not to me- meant to be totally realistic. Uh, but what got me was the fact that, okay, one of them is screaming about his abs. The other one's tongue is hanging out while he growls like a dog. Uh, but at the same time that you're hearing that, they have this, like, internal narrative where both of them are separately thinking about how much they value the friendship and companionship of the other. <laughs> like, like, Shinkai is, his while his you have a close-up of his tongue hanging out, he's thinking, Izumita, you were always there, keeping up with me. Working your hardest. I'm so proud of who you've become. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks for the for the backing vocals. Um, no and, problem. And it's really hard to take it seriously. Yeah, kind of. And then you also have uh, Izumita over there going, Shinkai, I really... Abu, Abu, like, Abu, you Abu, mean so much to me. Abu, and you're racing. Abu, like, I have always looked up Abu, to you. I wear this number Abu, four. Abu, just for the sake <laughs> yeah I mean, it, yeah exactly it's so it's so odd um anyway uh, so it, it, you, you see that a couple of times in the episode where you just it, it just comes across as odd another thing that's odd they don't even mention the main characters in this whole episode like they're because why by the time you get to the end of the episode they're still not done with the race this is the first multi-episode race really right well i I guess it's the second one but um uh but it's the first multi-episode race that hasn't included sohoku uh and i don't really know why we care that much yeah because hakone is really meant to be the big rival team yeah you don't we don't really need to get that much into their personal struggles and I think one of the big problems with the series as well is that it seems very resistant to the idea of having multiple different teams be important. Like, you can have one team that has, like, you know, maybe they have, like, one opponent on that team that really stands out that's, like, a really good sprinter. Or you could have somebody It's like, okay, we're not that great, but hey, we've got a climber and you have an issue, yeah. like, where they kind of come out of nowhere. It's like, I'm fine with Hokone being the main rival, but this kind of feels like... It feels like the author didn't really know... Like, of the, the author of the original manga, they didn't really know what direction they wanted to take the story in. So, rather than actually do much of anything kind of decided to delay it by being like, okay, well, why don't I write about Hakone now and kind of deal with their personal struggles? And I don't know. It's it's just not terribly interesting. Like, my big issue is that... So the whole thing about Sohoku is that they're doing, you know, the whole shonen sports trope of, you know, we are a unified team. You know, all we care about is, you know, we ride as a group and we, like, we live and die as a group. Right. Right. Hakone's whole thing was, I thought, supposed to be that they were just the dominant champions. You know, they believe in natural talent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, you know, the talent of their team, you know, the individual strength, you know, they all kind of pull each other together. But then when we start getting more and more in depth with their team and seeing their personal struggles, they're really not any different from Sohoku. Yeah. I mean, I I'm sorry. I don't I, I don't mean to cut you off. I was trying to to change, but do you want to finish your thought? Yeah. Well, basically, it's just 
they just, they, like, everything about this team feels like it's a very tightly knit team. You know, we ha we learn all this stuff about, you know, how much Izumita cares about, uh, you know, like, living up to Shinkai's legacy. Or uh, Minami, who just doesn't, like, you know, he's so torn up over the fact that he lost for his team. Yeah. And it's like, it, like you know, lost at the inner high due to his own carelessness. And, you know, it was like... I don't really see how these guys could be any different. Like, you could interchange these two teams, and it wouldn't really make any difference is what it feels like. Yeah, you're right. They have the same characters, bit more or that less. Being s uh, that being said, I did like the... Uh, I, the, the one thing I really did like about this episode was that I did like the conversation that Minami had with the, uh, I think, uh, with uh, Kuroda, who's the new second-in-command uh, second of the team, where he was, ha like, because he's legitimately torn... Because I do like the fact that he is legitimately torn up about the loss at the Inter-High, and that he does largely blame himself, and that has apparently changed his writing style, and Kuroda actually told him, it's like, yeah, you're working a lot harder now, but you're also not very good anymore. You know, you're not really writing at your own pace anymore. You know, you are you are the kind of guy who needs to be a little bit more carefree and uncaring. And I, I did think that was at least an interesting conversation, you know, being about, you know, you. it's good for you to, you know, feel responsible, but at the same time, you shouldn't lose sight of who you actually are. Yeah. It was it was fine, but ultimately I still don't understand why we're paying attention to these. Yeah, and I don't understand well. like, because do we have to do this whole thing about Minami versus uh, Toto now, which seems to be what yeah. the next yes, setup is? Yes, yes, we do. We have to do it for every character. Every character has to have a showdown because that's what this show is. Um, and I don't mean to be this bitter about Yoapeda. I usually like Yoapeda. I just don't understand why they're taking it in this direction and dragging it out because the pacing was pretty good up until now. Right, and now, to be fair, the pacing was not great during season two. Of course like it wasn't, mentioned. of course it wasn't. I, I'm saying that I was hoping this season had taken a turn. That's fair, that's fair, and it's kind of a shame to see that it hasn't apparently learned much from last season. No. Um, though I, I just want to close our, our commentary on Yoapedo with this line from early in the episode. They have this recurring thing where the first years or the, the non-main characters from Hakone will be riding behind the the main characters and will comment on how awesome they are um and my favorite line was one first year who said amazing they're recognizing each other's abilities i want to be just like them <laughs> like okay you you don't need a character to tell the audience that they're recognized like y that's a point where you can just be silent everyone can tell they're recognizing each other's abilities and it was so it was so ham-fisted with everyone gathering around and complimenting each other and patting each other on the back but anyway um uh, real quick uh, along those lines there was uh there was actually i thought you were going to talk about a different line oh. which was uh there it is shinkai's kapow pose <laughs> Because it needed to remind us, right, that's his thing. Yeah, because it's not actually memorable of, enough on its own unless a character tells us that it's memorable. Right. Uh, speaking of something memorable, let's uh, go over March Comes In Like a Lion. Okay. Alright, so as uh, episode 19. Uh, it kicks off with some internal stuff from uh, Shimada. Basically, him describing his upbringing, how he grew up in a really small town in the north. Uh, there weren't many kids around him. He didn't. Ha he sort of had to find his own activities. He ended up being trained in shogi by the elders in his village. Um, he found out that he was kind of a natural at it, and he ended up ha having this lifestyle later in in high school, where he would work on the farm. And then he would use that to travel back and forth on the bus to Tokyo in order to compete in shogi. Um, and this was sort of his his up upbringing in shogi was that he had to commute to shogi matches in Tokyo. Uh, he, I guess he felt this pressure the entire time he's been a pro because all the elders in his town rested their hopes on finally getting a shogi master out of him. 
um, and he's, right. he's felt that pressure for a long time. Um, he sort of made himself sick because he's going into the fourth match of the Lion King tournament, and if he loses this, he's out. Um, and so there's an extended sequence where he and Ray are practicing at his house, um, but he still has the, the severe stomach pains the whole time. Ray is not sure whether he should be forcing Shimada to relax or helping him practice, but Shimada insists he needs Ray to practice because, because Ray's style is similar to Soya's. Uh, they end up traveling to Kyoto for the fourth match. Um, Soya sort of protects Shimada because he realizes he's sick, and he takes the brunt of the uh, attention and lets Shimada rest. Uh, Ray ends up rooming with Mr. Smith, who uh, gets angry about his cat for some reason, uh, and then they start off uh, the Lion King uh, fourth fourth match at the end of the episode. Right. So, uh, one thing I wanted to bring up, you had mentioned that with the whole thing about Soya wanting to help out Shimada. Was it just me, or did that seem a tad bit ominous? I did not think it was ominous. Why do you think so? It had this kind of weird dark tint to the screen, and they kind of did this weird little reverb as he did it. I, I don't, like, I guess it was probably just uh, Soya wanted to help him out just because, you know, he sees the guy is sick, and, you know, maybe it's just along the lines of he wants to have a good match tomorrow, and he needs that, you know, he needs Shimada rested up if that's going to be the case. I don't know. There was something that I, I thought that they were going to build on it, like, or maybe expand on it a little bit, but I just, it never really happened. Yeah, I mean, I think what they were going for there was just to notice the strangeness of Soya, because the way they did it was Shimada was just standing there, he was getting his photo taken, and then Ray looked up, and out of nowhere, Soya had sort of materialized behind Shimada. Um, so I think that was just the strangeness because of how foreign um, Soya is, that that was just an out outgrowth of his, his foreignness and his mystery. Okay, okay, I think that's fair. Uh, other than that, uh, I thought this was kind of an interesting episode because of the comparisons you can kind of judge between Shimada and Ray's life. Yeah. Like, I had never really taken note of Shimada's apartment before, or like his little house he has. Uh, it seems very eerily similar to Ray's in that there's really not much of anything around. Yeah, it's basically functional. Yeah, it's a, essentially it's functional. Like I and I think the the scene that really uh, made that stick out to me was like when Ray opened up the fridge and there's nothing inside. Yep. And it's like okay, so this is a guy who's very much like uh, Ray, who is just he doesn't really eat much because that's something that was uh, established about Ray early on was that you know he's not a big eater. Uh, and, and he so just I, like I, doesn't know how to prepare food. He just like doesn't take care of himself. Yeah, exactly. And I thought that was kind of interesting to see Ray has now starting to have to take on that role with somebody else. Because, you know, that was something that Ray had, had realized a couple episodes ago where he was like, you know, nobody really seems to depend on me. And so this is a situation in which we see a comparison, a pretty blatant comparison between how Ray was before kind of letting everybody else take care of him and him kind of, you know, passing it forward hmm. or paying it forward. Right. Uh, and I thought that, and, but, you know, he's also kind of inexperienced about it because, you know, he, you know, we see this constant, like, uh, lack of confidence in his decisions because he's constantly like, I don't know if I should have let us, uh, I almost said Soya, uh, Shimada, like, I don't know if I should have let him practice with me just because, but at the same time, it plays back into Ray's own desires because, you know, we saw before about how he wanted shimada to be able to learn something from him you know he wanted to offer something to for shimada uh because he felt like he was just kind of getting in his way right uh and so yeah i thought that i thought that whole aspect was interesting yeah i i mostly enjoyed the background detail on shimada of like why is and it, it sort of answered some of our questions from last week as to why does shimada feel like he needs to make it back to his hometown um it's not so much i mean my my theory was basically that it was an economic issue where he wanted to bring uh money into his hometown before it disappeared i don't really think that anymore although it was a pretty theory 
Um, I think it has more to do with him wanting to honor uh, the people that trained him originally and the people that taught him how to play Shogi. Um, The people that supported him when he was becoming a pro. Right, because they had even mentioned, like, or uh, Shimada even mentions, like, look, we've never even had a B-ranked member come from our town. Yeah. And I I mean, I think that's less of a wrong, and I think it's almost like a pride thing, like, it's not so much that people in that town are bad, it's just, you know, it's a small town. They don't have just the sheer wealth of talent to draw from, from, like, the big cities, like, like Kyoto or Tokyo. Yeah, of course. And so, but, you know, it's like, you know, he he found this passion. And I, I liked what he was commenting as well about why he ended up liking Shogi over having to deal with just, you know, like games or manga or anything like that. Because there is this sort of, there's a term that I don't remember the name of, but it's essentially the, the feeling you uh, you get when you, when you finish something you really like, mm-hmm. essentially. It's that sort of depression that comes from the finishing of a good story. Right. Uh, and, like, Shimada doesn't want to feel that, essentially. He likes the idea that sh- that Shogi is something that can constantly be expounded on. You know, it's something that he can keep developing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, he it's like, it's not something that he's just going to finish in a few hours and then, you know, kind of reflect on for a while. Right. And I think that kind of, that kind of speaks to the strength of games as a whole like because in order to even because it's interesting because like for example chess i know is a sport that has effectively been mastered uh because like there has been almost no strategy in chess that that hasn't been done you uh in order to master in order to actually change how chess is played you have to be a master of the game. You have to know every single strategy. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was kind of interesting that that's what his motivation is, essentially. Like, he just, he sees this never-ending world of, like, it's almost like a new frontier. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, not that that's not that doesn't already exist for Shogi. I'm sure that there has been plenty written about the sport of Shogi. But... I think it's uh it, it's kind of along the same lines where it's something that he can never he never has to lose it. Right. Like at, at a certain point you're going to beat a video game and you can only beat a video game so many ways. Um right. You can only you can read a story or you can write a book but you can only write it so many. You know, there's there's some definite definite ends to that whereas I guess the best games and the best sports have are constantly reinvented and so that's sort right. of what he gets out of it, which I liked. Um I thought it was it was interesting too to see some of the the parallel between wh- what he saw of Ray and Soya, right. which again we've identified before. But it's like, oh, why does Shimada want Ray around? So it's because he reminds him of Soya somehow that they're both all around players. They don't have a particular strategy they stick to. And they both are, like, incapable of expressing their <laughs> suspicions. Whereas they both just say that, like, oh, something feels wrong. Something's disturbing. Um, so I thought that was interesting. More more parallelism with the two of them. but Right. It, it kind of feels like the series is sort of, It's very subtly implying this sort of... Uh, this conflict between Rey. Uh, like, you know, we've, we've discussed this at length before, but, you know... Who's he going to end up following? Right. And I kind of feel like the what the series is going to end up getting to is the fact that, you know, he can maybe do both. Yeah. Like, there's nothing there's nothing that's wrong with attempting to do both. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Well, I get... We're still a little early on for that, but... Yep, I agree. And we've got a few episodes left on March Comes In Like a Lion. And uh, even, I guess, four left... Uh, excuse me, we've got three left in March Comes In Like a Lion... Which, oh yeah, last thing I want to say about it, did I only realized this week that March Comes In Like a Lion is going to end in March. <laughs> yeah, you had mentioned that. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I don't know if that was planned. Um, are, are, like, is the conclusion of the show going to be, we're going to find out how March comes in? <laughs> you know? Oh my Will gosh, come wait. In like a lion? Wait, Matt. It is they're playing in the lion king tournament 
Oh, and the, my lord. The Lion King tournament will come to an end in March. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> Somebody on the sta- on the planning staff was very cheeky. Yeah. Um I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it has some greater thematic meaning, but that is funny. Well, we'll see. Next Speaking week. of or... an absence of greater thematic meaning, do you want to discuss all out? <laughs> Please, let's do so. Okay, so this we're covering episode 20. Uh, basically what happens is uh, Tenjiku congratulates Jinko over their win. We get a little bit more background with Renpei. We kind of still see him a little bit uh, despondent over, uh, you know, over what happened before. But he seems to want to try and reconnect a little bit with Suna. Because he loses like a charm and he has to go around hunting for it. And it was something that Suna gave him. Uh, and then, but, uh, the interesting thing is that Jinko doesn't really know how to express, you know, how they feel about the fact that they won. And, you know, they get back, and, like, even after the game, they're kind of like, they're kind of like, oh, uh, yeah, thanks, guys, uh, we appreciate the praise. And, but, you know, they're, they're kind of just sort of taken aback more. Mm-hmm. And then when they get back to the hotel, they're still kind of quiet, they're still not being, like, rowdy or partying, and it kind of takes some... Some uh, some goading by uh, by Shingo to finally be like, look guys, you know you're fu- it's good to be gracious and winning, but look, you guys aren't around the other team now. How do you want to like? How do you feel? And you know they they all kind of erupt in in happiness by lead of Seki's on. Uh, then uh, that later that night we have Shingo going out drinking with uh, Yoshida, and they actually meet up with the coach of the uh, Tenjiku team. Uh, whose name is uh, Futami. Right. And he explains kind of what you were suspecting uh, about a week or two ago. Futami is very similar to Yoshida, uh, who was sort of, right. you know, he kind of became this sort of very distant coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the difference between him and Yoshida was that they became, he became distant because the team was getting too good and they no longer needed him. Right. And uh, Shingo kind of explains to him, like, look, uh, uh, he kind of gives him the opposite advice that uh, he gave Yoshida, which was about how he needs to make sure that, you know, he still needs to remain, like, a figure to these kids and not, you know, get too caught up in their rhythm. And that's kind of where the uh, the episode ends. Mm -hmm. That was an awkward pause. Who wants to speak first? (laughs) I got it. I got it. Okay, so I what I liked about this was that, again, I generally really like Shingo. I think he is one of the strongest coach-type characters that we've gotten in a series. Yes. In a long time. And I think what I like about him is that he, he this is a man who comes with experience, and he kind of understands that there's no one right way to go about teaching. He, like, I, I really like this uh, discussion he has with Yoshida about, like, you know, because Yoshida was like, yeah, you know, the kids got back really excited, you know, talking, like, I've never seen them like this before. And, like, Shingo was seeing how excited that he was getting about the kids, you know, who were really surprised and shocked by what happened. And he's like, look, man, you can't be as surprised as they are because otherwise they're not going to respect you. You're just going to be, like, one of the guys. And... There's this kind of, I I appreciate the balance that Shingo has been able to establish between both being their friend and also being, like, a teacher to them. Mm -hmm. And what I I guess, because that kind of came through in this episode, wherein he's kind of telling the boys, like, it's okay for you guys to celebrate. Because he understands that, you know... (sighs) These kids need some guidance, mm-hmm. like, in most aspects of their lives. And I guess I kind of appreciate the fact that, you know, how often do we get a coach telling kids, hey guys, you can party now. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. I mean, insofar as we have main characters that are coaches, we often see them being stoic and strong at all times. And, you know, Shingo definitely does fill that role. But he expressed in an interesting way in this episode that, like, he understands that's a personality he puts on. Usually when we see coaches, all we're led to assume is that that's just who they are. That's right. that's their personality. And Shingo's like, oh no, it's an act. Like, I just, <laughs> I recognize that sometimes I need to be 
uh, harsher. Sometimes I need to be more distant, and sometimes I can be closer to them and talk more personally. Um, but you have to have a balance, and you have to always keep them off guard so that they can't just predict and expect everything you'll do. Um, so I, I thought I thought it was interesting for a coach to actually talk about why he acts the way he does, which you know that's something you almost never see. Right, exactly. Like for example, you know, I again, I love Haikyuu and I love Ukai, but you know, he's kind of one of those guys like he's not really all that different off the like outside of the team than he is, you know, just normally. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, he he's kind of always just sort of this crotchety old guy, like this crotchety like late 20s guy who's just sort of unsatisfied with his life and you know he's kind of found something you know that kind of gives him that gets him a little bit more riled up you know gets him kind of gets him out of bed in the morning almost uh whereas you know it's it's refreshing to kind of see a series that's like look coaches are the teachers like they are the ones who are actually kind of they are an important part of the team because so often we have so many series that sort of undermined the, the position of the coach. Yeah, exactly. Like, the coach is another high school student or something. Right. Like, uh, a good example of this is an Ice Shield 21 with their coach who literally says, like, I didn't coach these kids. They they did this all for themselves. I'm just kind of here to, you know, give them just a little bit of guidance when they need it. Like, but, you know, this is their team. Mm-hmm. Or Kuroko's like, basketball, which doesn't have a coach. It just has <laughs> one of their classmates. Right, exactly. Or, uh, like, in Ace of the Diamond, they'll face other teams where the coach is just a figurehead and actually one of their teammates is the real coach or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So it's nice to see a series where the coach is kind of a, is pretty much almost the most vital member of the team. Oh yeah. So, and I think that's generally what this episode did well. I did really like that speech. I did have one kind of really moment with one of the lines that he said, which was like, you know, it's like, he's like specifically like, one of the rules of rugby is that you show consideration for the losing team. I kind of had to pause there for a little bit because I'm pretty... I can't... Like, I don't have any sources to back this up. I'm pretty sure one of the reasons why rugby was created was for the British to beat up on the Irish. So I don't that's know... That's not true at all. Oh, that's not? Okay. No, it was a boarding school game. Oh, okay. Fair enough. I don't know. where. No. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> And that's definitely, like, a thing in rugby where um, they're very serious about hanging out with and being, uh, like, joking around with and being compatriots off the field with your opponents. So, like, it's, it's, it is an unwritten rule that after the match you're supposed to, like, hang out and be nice with your opponents, that you keep really? all your aggression on the field. Really? I did not know that. Wow, I feel like a jerk now. Yeah. Apologize to the Irish. And the British. <laughs> well, you have my apology. Okay. Not me. Great Britain. Yes, yes, I know. Um, yeah, no, it was, it, was a, it was a boarding school game. Uh, it was actually, and it's named after, there's a, there's a boarding school in England called Rug, the Rugby School. where And so oh, it was okay. just like a bunch of high school students invented the, the original rules for the sport and then called it rugby because that's where they went to school okay okay well then yeah so uh i think that that that's all the big the big highlights from all out i thought it was a fun episode it's sort of like a good interlude and uh hopefully we'll get into their second training camp match next week right uh one thing i did want to bring up just real quick was that there was uh, a little chat between uh miki miki and Ume. do you have to bring it up Oh, okay, I don't have to. No, you can bring it up. I, I'm not being serious. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, basically, it, it was... I don't know. I didn't actually mind it too much. It, it did feel a little bit like girl... Like, like oh, those girls and they're silly talking about the boys. Yeah, it, um, it didn't It didn't really add much. Basically, all, all that happened was uh, the team manager and Miki, who works at the hotel, were talking about whether any they liked any of the boys on the team and then the team manager gave her theory on uh which members of a rugby team you should pursue for marriage uh basically the theory being that you should pursue the forwards because even though they were bigger uh they were usually nicer and less self-centered because they had to work in a team as for scrums whereas the the wings and the backfield uh had more individual glory so they weren't to be trusted 
right. uh, which you know okay but i don't really know what it added i don't know i i, I guess what to me what it added was that it felt a little refreshing because even though it was very clearly like girl talk and being like you know oh which one of the boys do you like it felt a little bit more frank than it generally does because generally what these types of scenes tend to establish is that one of the girls likes the main character and they get all nervous and scared about it yeah thankfully that didn't happen yeah actually like not only did miki fully admit who she kind of liked it wasn't like embarrassing and it wasn't gion it wasn't really anybody of the main, like any of like the major players that we've seen. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, it was like Hirota that Miki liked. Yeah, she's like, oh yeah, no, I kind of liked Hirota actually. Like he was the he was the cool one. Like I thought. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, like this actually feels like, again, you know, maybe it's a little bit too stereotypically. Ooh, who do you like, huh? It felt a little bit more like a natural feeling, and it did kind of it did embellish Ume a little bit to me as a character. Like, she does feel like she is somebody else who's who's involved with the team. She does kind of feel like her own character. And I, when she was first shown off, she did kind of come off as being like, oh, we have a girl here, too. Right. Um, speaking of shows that have girls there, too, uh, let's talk about Tiger Mask. Do they have girls? <laughs> well, there's a girl <laughs> alluded to... In two points of this show, uh, in this episode, so we've got Tiger Mask episode twenty. Um, open it opens up with the admission that Rory's dad owns the hospital and he doesn't want her to be a nurse because that's peasant work or whatever. Um, and she just he just wants her to marry a doctor, not a pro wrestler, Nauto. <laughs> um, and then Nauto goes, oh boy. Uh, <laughs> thankfully we, we, uh, steer clear of him for the rest of the episode, um, where we get back to the hell in the hole. Uh, if you remember, we had the, the face off between Billy, the Kidman and Odin against Kevin and Takuma, uh, red death mask approaches all four of them. Uh, everyone suspects that he's up to no good. Uh, he says that if anyone wants to team up with him, he will uh, let them. And so Odin betrays Billy the Kidman, runs down uh, to join Red Death Mask, and then Red Death Mask uh, breaks a table over his head. Uh, and the, the other three charge, beat up Red Death Mask, and knock him out immediately. And then Takuma <laughs> and Kevin knock out Billy the Kidman immediately. So just like that, they're the only two left. Uh, they get to the top of the mountain, and the Guardian is a like seven and a half foot tall robot uh who looks like a guy but is a a wrestling robot and they they try to attack him but he's invincible but odin comes out of nowhere uh eventually they're able to team up all three of them and throw the wrestler through a window and he starts randomly attacking civilians uh and then tiger the great the third uh finishes off the giant robot um so ultimately odin is able to return to his home in uh, europe um sure and uh takuma and kevin go apparently straight from the hell in the hole to madison square garden (laughs) (laughs) can i also bring up real quick that he's he's let out uh that odin is let out in the middle of nowhere and immediately catherine approaches him yeah uh so like where did she come from yeah exactly so he just dropped off off a bus in front of the middle of a wheat field uh and cast there yeah i just imagine him to be like telling the the, the bus driver's like no just drop me off in the middle of a wheat field she'll find me yeah exactly no that's (laughs) that's that's catherine's spot yeah no she she hangs out in wheat fields it's fine yeah exactly uh also like because there was nothing else on that road they must have had to have passed her (laughs) right yeah well and that's the funny thing too because so he gets dropped off uh and he turns to his left the bus drives off to his right so to his left is Catherine who approaches him so meaning yeah they definitely drove past her because she's approaching from the direction that the bus came 
Yeah. Maybe that's why the bus stopped because he saw it. I mean, it's there's no logic. There's no actual logic, and it's not worth this much discussion or thought. Um, no. But so um, Odin goes back to vague Europe, sees Catherine. Although the audience, we don't get to see Catherine. We just know she exists. <laughs> Also, you did miss one important detail during the match with Red Death Mask. Mm. Uh, so after he beats Odin in the face with a table, he then proclaims, "Okay, who else would like to join me?" Oh yeah, <laughs> and everybody is immediately, "No, we don't <laughs> want to join you." Yeah. Do you think we're gonna fall for this twice? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it, it was funny because I'm like, surely, surely Red Death Mask must have something else up his sleeve. Like, why would he recruit someone to turn on the other group and then beat him over the head with a table to make sure no one else would... So, like, all he was doing was ensuring that it would be three against one. Right, and, and that then, much makes sense. And so I'm like, oh, why does he want three against one? Well, he doesn't because he just got knocked unconscious immediately. So, like, <laughs> he's supposed to be this scheming Omega fighter, um, but he just sort of, like, got punched in the face. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Like, he just immediately got, like, thrashed. Yeah. And I guess on one hand it makes sense because, yeah, if anybody actually tried doing that, that's pretty much what would happen. You might get one guy come up and then... But I just... I can't believe he tried to trick them again, like, right in front of their faces. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then one other thing about, uh, about Blackout was that, don't forget, the reason why they were using Blackout was because they're apparently selling the information that they gather from these fights against the wrestlers. They're apparently selling the information to the defense ministry? Uh, yeah. Because, well, I mean, they said Department of Defense, and I think they did it because it was supposed to be an American. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. I did. I was kind of half paying attention. I saw defense and yeah. some department. Um, so... so... Yeah, the idea being that this is some American arms manufacturer who's testing his super soldier robot against professional wrestlers. Because, like, <laughs> that's what soldiers do. is like, practice wrestling moves. I don't know. I mean, I guess... I guess you could almost argue, because if they're going to be selling super soldiers, you know, you want them to go up against giant beefy dudes, so... No, I, no, no, no. If you're selling super soldiers, you want to make sure they can use a rifle. Right, okay, like, fair why enough. would they ever be in hand-to-hand -hand combat? <laughs> okay, fair point, fair point. Um, no, it was, I mean, it was dumb. Uh, it was kind of, it, it was enjoyable. Like, that's the thing. I can't complain about these Hell in the Hole episodes because they've been a lot better than most Tiger Mask episodes. Right. Um, but they weren't good. <laughs> right no i am looking forward to next episode too because the preview did imply that we are going to keep getting more uh takuma and we are going to see some more tiger the great the third yeah exactly and Ti tiger the great the third had a pretty pretty sweet finisher move on uh blackout the killer robot but yeah exactly uh I, by the way going back to the whole scheme about uh red death mask i think the point of that was like the entire point of that part was that for so Odin could come back and have a redeeming moment? Yeah. Like, because that was the whole thing, was that it was Odin's appearance while Takuma and uh, Kevin were fighting Blackout. Like, because they were getting thrashed, and then Odin comes out of nowhere and steals the key. And then uh, and also kind of takes one for the team fighting Blackout by on his own. And so I, I think the point, and I mean that's kind of the shame is that red is that they didn't really utilize Red Death Mask because mm -hmm. I think the entire point was so that Odin could have his come from behind save. Yeah, I mean it was fine, but at, at the end of the day, Red Death Mask is just a way cooler character than most of GWM. So to have him lose in such a stupid way was a letdown. Yeah, yeah, no, no argument there. Speaking also, Billy the Kidman. Yeah, yeah, Billy the Kidman just disappeared. Who cares about him? Right. <laughs> Clearly Odin doesn't. Uh, but uh, if you want to speak about things that uh, people don't care about, let's uh, discuss <laughs> Minami Kamakura Girls High School Cycling Club. Okay, The animation. Sure yeah, the animation. Don't forget that part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is episode eight. So, episode begins with uh, Fuyune's leg cramping up in the last stretch. Which, you know, I'm going to give him. It, it was weird, but it, it was actually set up. 
mm-hmm. from before. Uh, and so it's now they're all kind of racing. Higa and Hiromi managed to sp- actually managed to pass both. Ku- uh, well, they managed to pass Kuma in the very end. Uh, we have a section where Hiromi suddenly forgets how to turn, <laughs> and <laughs> but uh, it, it comes down to a three-way race between uh, Hiromi, uh, Az- Azusa, and uh, and Kuma. And though it's really just kind of neck and neck between uh, Hiromi and uh, sorry, it's Nanami, I think, and she uh, she wins a unicorn, possibly. Hiroko, yes, thank you, Matt. Uh, so yeah, we have her like standing at the victory at like you know the stands, and she's winning a unicorn. She starts flying the unicorn across the sea, and you know it's at this point we're realizing okay, it's a dream. And but she has this big discussion with the un- with her dream unicorn about how like you know with this biking she can do anything in the world. Mm-hmm. You know she can go to so many unforeseen places. And then we discover, and, but then she wakes up because we find out that she was actually relaxing in the swim club. So I guess the swim club is just a normal part of this, of this group's life now. Apparently it's raining, so they can't do their club activities. And we also find out that the cosplay club has been shut down for uh, the past, for, was banned for three months. But because of Kuma's efforts, it's going to be reinstated. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's about... That's that's, that's about more than enough. Uh, what about yeah, what I, about what did we learn from AOP? Uh, what we learned, I actually don't remember what we learned. We learned the how you should hold your arms when you're riding a bike so your arms oh. don't get tired. Okay, okay, good, good, good. I'm glad they told us that. That's really special. Yep. Okay, so Matt, I had a very terrifying realization at the very end of this episode. I, I had know. the same one. Oh, okay, okay. Let, let's is say it, let, bo- let's say it on, oh, so I'll leave it in. Um, so, uh, Mr. Bear or Kuma is one, two, two. three, Sandy McDougal. Sandy McDougal. Yeah, it's Sandy McDougal. Yeah. Uh, so for some reason they had to build up this bear character as the great rival biker uh, just so that they could introduce Sandy McDougal into the cast of characters. Like, why? Why this way? Why couldn't she just be a member of a different club and just be writing that hard? Yeah. Like, why did she have to be dressed in a bear costume? Yeah, because that's going to be have to be a whole other thing that we now go through of realizing, what, you were Mr. Bear the whole time? And it's just really disheartening because Sandy McDougal was the one part of this. Sh- like, she was the one remaining hope I had for this show. Oh, yeah, no. And it, it made me laugh because uh, you spent most of last week's episode talking about how much you hate Mr. Bear. And now <laughs> it's it turns out Mr. Bear is the only character you were looking forward to seeing. I know! That was what was so terrifying about it. I almost messaged you immediately after I watched it. I was like, no, I don't want to spoil the reveal for him. Yeah. It technically hasn't been revealed, but when you watch the preview... It's obvious. Yeah, it's obvious because you see a girl you see a girl, and she's wearing the Kuma mask, and it's just immediately like, that's her. Yep. Um, otherwise, I was... Ex- there was this one moment... During the during the dream se- uh, sequence, I, first of all, I was extremely confused by what was going on. Oh because yeah, because this, they never the actually just... showed her win the race. They just cut straight from her winning the race to standing on a podium. But the whole standing on the podium sequence was uh, was a dream. Right. Where... So what's so weird about that is because she's like she reaches out because they even mention in the dream that the prize is a bike frame. Yeah. Right, and so. You think, okay, so she loves this bike frame so much that she's imagining it as a Pegasus. Okay, fine, whatever. It's stupid, but I guess I get it. And then she starts writing it, and they're over the city. Yeah. And they and comment that... on how how pretty Kamakura is. Right, of course. Well, it is the most beautiful city. Please visit Scenic Kamakura and its beautiful cherry blossoms. <laughs> it's not an ad. <laughs> Definitely not an ad. It is absolutely not a PR video. Anyway, 
Uh, and then, but then she starts writing on the Pegasus and starts talking to it. And she's like, okay. And she, what's funny is that she mentions right there. It's like, okay, well, this is a dream. Immediately when she wakes up, she says, oh, it was a dream? <laughs> right. You said it was a dream in the dream! Yeah. Uh, there's one other thing I want to bring up about her winning that race. I mean, there's many things worth bringing up, but here's one. Um, so the prize for winning, they did confirm at the end of the episode, she did win a new bike frame. Yeah, um, yeah. One, that's not that great a prize, because it's, like... <laughs> It's just a yeah, frame. it was just the bike frame. It's just the bike frame with no components, no wheels, no, you know, it's just the frame. And two, what if anyone else had won? Like, what if the swim team had won and they'd been like, thanks for half a bike? You know? <laughs> like, what am I going to do with this? I'm on the swim club. I was just doing this to resolve an internal dispute at school. Right. Like, that was my prize. I don't care about this bike frame yeah and not only that i want to point out as well about i thought you were going to go in a different direction with that uh because it was the exact bike frame that she wanted oh yeah because of course it was um, yeah because of course she has to, i guess i can't complain too much because this is the first time we've ever actually seen her work for something and actually get what she wanted i guess so, but like but, it, it wouldn't make sense for any other person to have won because if any other person would have won they would have been like this is trash right like <laughs> well i don't need this like great i guess i can go sell it for a few bucks yeah. but and of course corona just went ahead and used that bike frame to build her a new bike again yeah yeah essentially it's like this is like her only barely earns anything and there's also this whole sequence during the pegasus flying sequence where they keep telling us how she didn't win alone. And it's like, you people just met. Mm -hmm. Like, a week ago. I also want to point out that, like, because they're talking about how, because it's raining out, they can't get together and do group activities. One, aren't your club, isn't your clubhouse, like, an actual house? Yeah, right? <laughs> And second of all, what do you do? Yeah, they don't have any activities. They've never like, shown anything. We don't anything. know what you guys do. Yeah. Um, no, it was painful. It was it was painful as as per usual. Um, right. Did you have any uh, any closing thoughts on any further uh, betrayals? Yes. Oh, okay. You've you've got more. <laughs> oh, don't. I got one. Don't you worry. Uh, I got two actually. So first of all, uh, uh, in her dream, she lets go of the unicorn because she was imagining tasty food. A classic, yeah. And she falls off because because in her her own dream logic dictates that once again we have a return of long riders where apparently the major the major appeal to this uh, to this you know to this activity is of course to get food. Right. Second of all, like the the uh, the Pegasus mentions to her, you know, with you know, you can cross buildings, you can cross the mountains, you can even cross the ocean. You can't do any of that with a bike. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I get she's getting over-eager and excited, and, you know, we're kind of seeing her own mentality about this, but it's like, this isn't... This isn't how bikes work. Yeah, it's just, it feels I, that way, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's it's dumb, and it's stupid, and I hate it. Oh, good. I'm looking forward <laughs> to next week, then. Um... <laughs> uh let, let's wrap up with tq season seven um, okay so uh somewhat of a return to form with season seven it, it focused a little more on uh sticking to the the core four characters yeah um a couple highlights for me uh was the episode 73 the first episode where konoe tries to start the well digging club um and she digs a well in the tennis court um, and everyone realizes how amazingly fun uh, digging wells is, and that's the well. I mean, they're eventually going to go to nationals. Exactly. So. Yeah, they have to train <laughs> to go to nationals for well digging. Um, <laughs> there were no interconnected uh, episodes this season. Um, they, 
it was, it was pretty dumb, but there was an episode I really liked where Morimo expressed her desire to weigh 777 kilos <laughs> so that she could win the prize. Uh, and then everyone, just, uh, Konoe suggests her own diet system, um, which right. causes everyone to become extremely obese and they weigh 777 kilos and then they start spitting out prize money. Um, right. Um, I, I did appreciate some of her dieting advice there, which was uh, exercise is probably not bad for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that was followed immediately by episode 77, which might have been the best one so far, right. in which they uh, talk about hibernation with a bear, uh, who uh, discusses how he prepares salmon, um, how he keeps himself from pooping while he hibernates, and why he believes... Uh, <laughs> that bears are hunted which he thinks that they're being punished for streaking um <laughs> and he comments well, on the... how his his uncle was was shot uh, with a shotgun because he was walking around naked um but right. but it's not that big a deal because he didn't like his uncle anyway <laughs> uh, one thing i want to point out about this i don't know if this is a pun that translates into english like i don't know if they have this or not because don't forget there is the term bear naked I can't, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe that's... That can't be it. Like, that can't be a pun that works in Japanese, can it? No, it can't. <laughs> <laughs> but I, that just occurred to me now. Yeah. Uh, but also, don't forget that the bear also really hates Pooh Bear because he creates an I, an unideal standard of bears and make them think that, everybody think that bears like honey. <laughs> also, Pooh Bear is kind of a jerk, too, and who beats up people on his, uh, when he's off the set. Yeah. Yeah, that that Winnie the Pooh. Uh, that Winnie the Pooh. Uh, I I think what really highlighted that episode that just that just the bow to tie it all together was that we discovered that this was a story that Konoe uh, was apparently telling Marimo, and it's it just a very brief shot where she goes where she says, and that really happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can I can just trade it over to you. Were there any other episodes that stuck out? for you stuck out uh I, I think the major one for me was uh was episode 81 where we have uh yuri <laughs> on a uh on a double on a basically a double date uh with uh Kondo, kondo's sister yeah 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 uh, on a cough yeah and uh where she's going out she's going to a mixer really and she's meeting three monks there well two monks and then there's a freelance monk there <laughs> yeah uh, and they end up having to fight off, uh, like, uh, Yuri's about to bail, and then she, while she's on the toilet, uh, a ghost possesses her, and uh, the monks have to exorcise the the ghost from Yuri. Yeah, it was the ghost of a girl who died because there was no toilet paper in the stall. Right, important things. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, th I think the other one that stood out to me was episode 78. I, I think it, it had a really great line in it. So, well, it had two really great lines. First of all, because... I don't generally care for Kondo that much, but she did have a good one where when they're going to her place because they all want to bowl, and she may and she mentions how nobody makes udon at a bowling alley. Yeah, <laughs> which is the exact opposite we have ever seen from her family. And then uh, there's this whole recurring gag with telepathy in that episode where Yuri can apparently hear all the thoughts of people. And at the very end, when she's bowling, she starts hearing the thoughts of everybody, and then she hears a voice from a religious figure who tells her, "If you believe there is a way." Yeah. And I just, I like the thought of her suddenly getting, uh, starting to hear voices and start, like, potentially creating a cult. But that never really happens. Of course, yeah. Um, no, I thought, I thought it was solid. Uh, the, the season ends with uh, them uh, buying a, a tennis robot who uh, ends up winning nationals on their behalf. Uh, <laughs> you know, par for the course. It kind of, it did kind of feel like that this was sort of intended to be the last season with mm -hmm. that. You know, it felt like a good, strong way to end the series. Well, they keep by having they them keep win nationals that. by nothing of their own, uh, by nothing of their own accord. Yeah, that's that's the thing is the show keeps like getting to places where because they never necessarily knew if they were going to get renewed again, so they just right. end in ways that it it could end and that would that would be fine. Um, anyway, yeah, it was solid. Uh, I, I don't think it was the best. I think probably somewhere between two and four were my favorite seasons so far. But we've got one one more season of TQ and then the two spinoff. Somehow right. this show has produced two separate spinoff series that we'll also it's, do. 
it, it's got to be super cheap for them to make. And if it, you know, if they get even like a very small niche fan base, it probably makes back the money pretty easily just by the Blu-ray or manga sales. Yeah, exactly. Which they advertise in the show. Yes, they they had a very good one this episode where they didn't even really, I don't even think there was really a setup for it. Just Nasuno held up the Blu-rays. Yeah. He's like, hey, buy the Blu-rays now. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. speaking of Blu-rays, uh, you can look forward to next week when we'll be selling uh, every episode of Koshian Cast yet on Blu-ray. <laughs> we did not discuss this. Well, I mean, I'm just saying that it's 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 a market that needs to be tapped. People <laughs> want to watch this podcast in high definition. Uh, they, they they really want to watch my YouTube clips of just splicing together ad promotions and then throwing in stupid gags and text over it. Yeah, they're very they're very popular, Matt. <sighs> well, I suppose we can look into it. But <laughs> until then, Matt, would you please hit the credits? It's my pleasure as always. Our logo design is by James Ratcliffe. The theme music is "Fly High" by Burnout Syndromes, covered and performed by Luke Bartka. You can follow Koshian Cast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and our email is koshiancast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We will be back next week with the best and worst from the world of sports anime, and until then, keep training.